We're going to pick up where we left off this morning, so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. This morning we will, or this evening we'll look at verses 15 to the end of the chapter. Exodus chapter 14, that can be found on page 66 in your pew Bible. previous verses, remember Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all nights. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided." And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Thus far, the reading of God's word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of Christ, this morning the theme was the Lord leads his people to the Red Sea. There were three points, the divine plan, the divine presence, and the divine promise. 
This evening, we consider the theme, the Lord fights for his people at the Red Sea or in the midst of the Red Sea. We remember that God brought out the people of Israel. They exited Egypt in haste. And when they left Egypt, they left. And we look at, verse, at chapter 13 there, and we see that they left equipped for battle. Verse 18, equipped for battle. That means there in the literal Hebrew language, it means that they left in rank. They left in formation, leaving Egypt and cornered, shut in between the wilderness and the sea. And the Lord is going to demonstrate His power. He's going to teach them that He fights for His people. Those whom He loves, He will save by His divine presence, plan, and promise. Because His plan, His presence, and promise will take effect in the midst of the Red Sea against the forces of evil. Again, let's take that helicopter ride over this area. Consider the amount of people there. Too numerous to count. A mass of humanity. Not even close to what we see on TV and the refugees coming to the southern border. Not even close. A mass of humanity. Men, women, and children. Let's not forget the, cur- the, the cattle and herds and flocks. We'd anticipate a massacre. Humanly speaking, the outcome looked very dim and very hopeless because Israel was shut in. They were cornered. We looked at this morning. With man, victory was impossible. But with God, all things are possible, are they not? God places them in this very unique situation, this unexpected route, this unexpected location to demonstrate His power and glory. The salvation of His people is possible because the Lord fights for His people. 600,000 men, not including women and children. Why don't they rise up and fight? It's only 6,000 chariots. Think about that. Grab what you can. Fear overwhelmed them. They trembled when they saw the face of the enemy. But now God will do something astonishing. I wonder how many times you've heard this narrative. Many of you, probably a large number of you were Raised in the church, baptized as a child, raised in the church, Sunday school lessons on this, probably sermons on this. You've probably read the narrative at home or devotion several times. Isn't it astonishing what's going on here? Let's get in the helicopter and take a look what's going on here. Let's take a look at what's going on here when we look first at the divine presence protecting Israel, the divine presence protects Israel at the Red Sea. It wasn't Moses who complained and cried out. It was the people of God, wasn't it? They feared greatly. They trembled. 
They lacked faith in the face of danger. But because Moses is a prophet of God, the Lord says to him, Why do you cry to me? Moses is a representative of the people. And so the Lord says to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Where are they going to go? You're in the helicopter. You're looking at this. They're, they're marching forward. Where are they going? What does the Lord say in verse 16? Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go out through the sea on dry ground. And then look with me at verse 19. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Like every battle, there needs to be a defense. God is defense. This is a battle between the Lord and the Egyptians. And the Lord begins the fight for His people by providing cover. He provides cover for his people. Did you see what's going on here? That pillar of cloud and fire that was leading them, that was taking them them and marching them towards the Red Sea. Now what happens? He pulls an audible. Go in between them and protect them. Through the nights until morning, the Lord's presence, the divine presence, will protect Israel from the forces of Egypt. And there was a cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. They begin to see the wonders of God in the way that the Lord is protecting them. Think about it for a minute. The crossing of the Red Sea took a lot of time and a lot of faith. The Egyptians are in hot pursuit, or they will be in hot pursuit in a moment's time. But the Lord comes between the enemy and the people of God so that no harm is done to his people. Throughout the night watch, who's the watchman? Who's the watchman in the night? The Lord. Did you catch that? Did you catch that, Christian? Who's the night watchman? Remember, they're in an impossible situation, humanly speaking. And they need a God who can do the impossible and protect them from a fierce enemy. And the Lord goes in between them and separates them. Egypt, if you want to get to them, you need to go through me. I remember my dad. He was a tough guy. 
old Italian traditional tough guy. If they want to get to my family, they have to come through me. <laughs> you think God's playing ball here? You better believe it. You want to get to my people, Israel? Think again. I'm going to get between you and them, and you're not going to make a move. You're not going to make a move. Astounding. God kept watch over their souls and their very lives that day, in the night. Watch. And then we have the divine plan miraculously unfolds in the midst of the Red Sea. In verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. The miracle, the plan of God that we heard of this morning comes to fruition, miraculously occurs, unfolds. When Moses stretched out his hand with his staff, so he has a staff in his hand, the staff of God in one hand, and he has his hand up in the other hand, and has his other hand up, and he is before the sea. And an east wind comes. Remember that east wind? We heard, we heard about that before. But we read that the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. The people of Israel shall see his salvation. They shall know that he is Lord. They shall believe his saving power and might. And they shall believe the prophet Moses because of this miraculous event that unfolded before their very eyes. They are seeing the Lord fight for them in the way that he came between Israel and Egypt and now in the way that he's opening the sea miraculously by his power so that they may walk on what? On dry ground. They will see that the Lord fights for them and doesn't leave them cornered and helpless and hopeless. They cross the Red Sea, the chaotic waters of judgment, without any harm or injury. Isn't that salvation in Christ? Isn't that grace? Unearned favor? Unmerited favor? You can do nothing to earn it? Isn't that what God is teaching us here? Isn't that what he did for the Israelites? He fights for them so that they may walk through the Red Sea unharmed, uninjured? By faith, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. They walk forward, they walk forward in faith. And they cross in faith. If you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 27 to 29, the author says, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, 
For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. It took faith for the people to march forward and to see the sea parted. Okay, get yourself out of the helicopter now and put yourself in the crowd. Um, what's going on here? I, it was something I always wanted to do. Boys and girls, maybe you thought about this too if you saw fish you know, going about in the side walls. I always wanted to just stick my finger in there and just... miracle. How did they know that it wasn't going to fall back on them? How did they know that when they saw the sea divide and the dry ground and they started walking, crossing, why didn't God just shut it on them again? Just shut, shut it on the, not just the Egyptians, but the Israelites. Because he loved them. And he's saving them. He's fighting for them. He's fighting for them. In verses 23 to 25, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. And in the morning watch, this is important, in the morning watch, The Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. He throws the Egyptian forces into a frenzy and panic. At the break of dawn, the morning light. It's interesting it occurred in the morning, isn't it? What have we learned the past couple weeks on the plagues? One of their preeminent gods was the sun god, Ray. And when the sun rose in the morning... They called upon their sun god, Ray. They trusted in their sun god, Ray. What does God do at sunrise? I'm not only going to deal with Egypt, but I'm going to deal with your sun god. Because when the sun rises, he's not going to be there to help you. He's not going to be there to help you. He throws the Egyptian forces into a frenzy and panic. Horses probably spooked and panicked, throwing off its rider. Chariot wheels were clogging, that is, they were breaking off, unable to be steered, going directionless, going weaving in and out because they couldn't go straight. Boys and girls, we had one of the coolest, I don't even know if they have big wheels anymore. 
but big wheels back in the day were great, especially when you had a steep driveway and you can just go flying down, turn it, brake, and then you do a couple 360s. But when you had a wheel that was clogging, you went nowhere. You went nowhere fast. Imagine 6,000 chariots in a panic, horses in a panic, wheels clogging, and they even cry out. The Lord's fighting for the Israelites. Interesting, isn't it? it when I read that, it, it brought me to the cross. When the Roman soldier saw the suffering of the Son of God, and he said, truly, this is the Son of God. It's as if the Roman soldier recognized something about Jesus. It's as if the Egyptians here know something, see something about the Lord of the Hebrews, the Lord of the universe. And he is fighting, not for the Egyptians, but for his people. And he's doing so in the midst of the Red Sea. I can go on and on about the many skeptics who concoct fanciful, highly speculative explanations of what's going on here in the text. Some argue that it isn't a literal parting of the Red Sea. Some even argue that it wasn't even the Red Sea that's being talked about here. It was probably one of the canals or lakes just north of the Red Sea. These lakes and canals that fed into the Red Sea. These are deniers of the supernatural, deniers of the power of God. These are naturalistic explanations because in their worldview, there's no room for miracles. There's no room for the supernatural work of a divine being. And these these skeptics even exist in churches, in the church. Many years ago, there was a man who grew up in Reformed churches, conservative Reformed churches, over 80 years old, and throughout his entire life, never believed in this. Never believed in it. From a little child to his 80s, never believed it. So I don't assume or presume to think that everybody maybe here believes it, or anybody watching via live stream. God did something, something wondrous here. A miraculous event unfolds where he brings salvation to his people and he fights for them. He fights for them. A liberal minister was preaching in an old Bible-believing church in the south and the minister referenced the crossing of the Red Sea and someone in the sanctuary said this, Praise the Lord, taking all them children through the deep waters. What a mighty miracle! The person screamed this out during the sermon. And the minister didn't believe in miracles and said this to the man. It's not a miracle. They were in a marshland. The tide was ebbing and the children of Israel picked their way across six inches of water. To that the man replied, praise the Lord, drowning all them Egyptians in six inches of water. What a mighty miracle. (laughs) 
in saying this, the man wasn't affirming his interpretation or the man's idea of what he believed concerning the Red Sea, the parting and crossing of the Red Sea. He was actually exposing the folly, the minister's folly by saying that. Exposing his incoherent worldview. It's true that the location of the cities noted in chapter 13 and 14 are not known. What is known is that the text states that the, the Lord led the people to the Red Sea and it was at the Red Sea when his plan miraculously unfolded. You look at Psalm 78, Psalm 106 that I, we read earlier, Psalm uh, 105. This was a song of the Israelites. Remember this day. Isaiah 51 verse 10. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? God did the impossible. Because what's impossible for man is not impossible for God. The divine plan miraculously unfolded in the midst of the Red Sea. And then the divine promise was fulfilled in the midst of the Red Sea. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the Red Sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And what did they see? I told you earlier to remember that word, see or saw in this text. What did they see? Or what have they seen the Lord do? They saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore without even lifting up a weapon because the Lord fought for them as he promised, as he promised. Isn't that salvation? Isn't that the song of the redeemed? That the Lord fights our battles? At the beginning of the book of Exodus, Israel's bondage and sufferings were great. Pharaoh and Egypt committed great sins, grave sins against the Lord and his people. And in chapter 1, do you remember what he did? You remember what he commanded the Hebrew midwives to do? Go to the Hebrew home and every male child that is born, what do you do? Throw them into the Nile River so that they are drowned. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Divine retribution. Divine retribution. It is not our responsibility, it's not our calling to take up swords and knives and batons and weapons. God takes care of the enemies 
of God and the enemies of His people. He fulfilled His promise, spoken through His prophet, that the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. At verse 15, Moses said that the Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. That's a promise. That's a promise. The word silent means to keep one's peace. Be still and know that I am God. Shut your mouth. Keep your peace. And watch. Watch. Be silent. And that's what the Lord did. He fulfilled his promise because he is God. He is Lord. And he demonstrated his glory over Pharaoh. And we looked at that this morning. The Red Sea was the place of a final battle, the last stand. It was a place where the Lord fights for his people and wins the battle without any casualties of the Israelites. Have you thought about that in your reading of this text? In the past or present? No casualty of war. It was God's plan to save Israel through the Red Sea, to to walk on dry ground. It was God's plan to bring divine retribution to Egypt in the Red Sea. We see salvation, and in the Red Sea we see God's judgments. And he saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. You're in that helicopter and you just see what happened, saw what happened. And you're like, did that just happen? Did the sea just close on this great army? And is this nation of two million people literally walking on dry ground now? Yes. They stood in awe of God's glory and power over the enemy. And they believed God. And they believed his servant Moses. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when they walked through the Red Sea, they were baptized in the Moses, said Paul. I have a few closing points, congregation. In these past few chapters, Jesus is our Passover lamb and he is our exodus from the bondage and slavery to sin and the devil. The Son of God and Son of Man has already fought for you at the cross. That cross which he calls the exodus. The only way, the only means by which you are saved The only way to salvation, the only way to be forgiven, the only way to pass from death to life is through the cross, the exodus. And so he has fought for you already, and he is fighting for you right now at the right hand of the Father, because he is present with you by his Spirit. He is getting in the way between you and the enemy. Peter, Satan sought to sift you like wheat, but I was praying for you, Peter. I was interceding for you. Christ, by his Spirit, intercedes for us, protecting us in the present. 
And He will fight for you and me when He comes a second time to judge the living and the dead. Congregation, Jesus leads us to the way of salvation and He has fought for our salvation on the cross where He gave His life and uh, spilt His precious blood for us. He stretched out His hands and received the divine curse and judgments so that we can cross through. And because of this, we have union with Christ and have been baptized into Christ. At the cross, there was divine retribution. Our sins deserve judgment in hell, but our Lord Jesus Christ bore hell upon the cross. Congregation, Jesus saved us from eternal destruction. He saved us from the lake of hell, the lake of fire. I was moved by this in the beginning of the service. I didn't think I would get through the service. Because I had this thought in mind, this teaching of the Bible in mind, and Christ's great love for us, and that in what He accomplished, in the way He fought for sinners, fought for sinners like us to redeem us and save us, He stretched out His hands, bore the penalty for our sin, so that we would not be cast into the lake of fire. At the cross, He fought the forces of evil. Satan thought he had won the victory when the Son of God and Son of Man died. But Jesus triumphed over him and the demons when he rose from the dead. So then the cross and the resurrection teaches us that Jesus fought for our souls. He fought for your soul, your very life, your very being at the cross. So that you wouldn't be among the Egyptians, but be his people who cross safely, unharmed. No casualties because Christ's blood is shed for His people and every one of His children will be saved. Each one of His elect will be saved and have been bought by the precious blood of the Lamb. These enemies have been rendered powerless over us. Powerless over us. What's impossible for man, that is salvation and forgiveness of sins, to earn that, is not impossible with God through Christ. There are people who, like the Egyptians, are obstinate toward God and His people. They live in unbelief and in anger and hatred toward God and His people, and they plunge headlong into the Red Sea. There are people like the Israelites who are told to march forward but don't. They don't trust God. They don't have faith in Christ. And so they remain on the seashore and never cross. Then there are people like those who believe and trust in the prophet Jesus who cross whose cross was our exodus and through whom we cross safely by God's grace from death to life. 
Let me ask you, friend, let me ask you, what side of the Red Sea are you on? What side are you standing on? Have you walked safely through the other side by faith in Christ? Or are you still facing the enemy in fear and complete unbelief, wondering if this day will be your last and having no hope? That's a miserable place to be. That's a miserable place to be. Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, who is the last and chief prophet of God, made the way from death to life. He made the way to salvation. He accomplished the way of salvation through his cross and by his resurrection so that when he comes again, we will be with him in glory. I want to conclude our, this Lord's Day by turning to Revelation chapter 21. I want everybody to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read slowly so we hear clearly these words. Revelation chapter 1, 21 rather. Revelation 21, I'll begin reading at verse... Seven. I'm sorry, 20. Revelation 20, verse 7. My apologies. The defeat of Satan. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. O Father in heaven, we thank You, O Lord, that You, according to Your perfect divine plan and decree, You have sent forth Your Son to redeem sinners like us. We thank You, O Lord, that through Jesus Christ and His shed blood and His glorious resurrection from the dead, we have indeed passed from death to life. We have received an eternal inheritance that shall never perish nor fade away. Hell has been canceled and heaven gained. And this is true for all the elect of God, bought by the blood of Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we, along with the saints, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, cry out to you and praise your great name, for you are worthy. You are worthy and greatly to be praised. Father, may you grant to us in this week a boldness of faith, a mature faith, a deep faith to withstand the powers of evil and darkness, that we, O Lord, would be a people of prayer, calling upon your name, casting all of our anxieties and cares upon you. Oh, Father, we pray that we would humble ourselves before you. For as the scriptures teach, that if we humble ourselves to you, the devil will flee. And so we pray that all of our anxieties, cares, would be humbly presented to you, knowing that you care for us. And the devil has no power over us. Oh, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.